Oh, no! Okay. <laughs> Where do you go from that? Uh, when their creative team, which consists of ex-youth pastors, say, hey, we just need some pictures of you um, <laughs> making different faces. Um, yeah, seriously, I should know better, right? About halfway through, I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> What do you really need these for? And they just said, just trust us. It's okay. It's your job now. <laughs> and so, so um, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> nothing to say about that. Okay, well, good morning, everyone. <laughs> good to be here with you. Uh, we are in a series on faith. I love this time of year because it's the end of the summer. Because um, I'm a parent, I love this time of year. And, and there are some parents in this room, you know, we have, let's see, some Students started this week, and a bunch will be starting tomorrow, and then the rest, the, the next week, I think, should cover the whole area. So, um, you know, freedom has come. Our summer break starts um, in about a week from now, when all the kids are back in school. So we're looking forward to that. My wife and I will take some time off and enjoy our house. And um, no, we won't, but we'll, uh, we're looking forward to the end of summer, much more than our kids are. But I love... Um, this time of year is, is always good. You kind of prepare for fall. Uh, we, we had a fun time this weekend, too, a group of men from the church. We went out deep sea fishing, um, had a great time out there. Um, I, you know, the promotion for it, I showed you the trip we went on last year with my son and I, and I, I was holding a pretty, I think it was this big, right, Dorado? I can't remember. It was at least as that big, right? Um, so it had a pretty large fish, was a promotion for the event. Um, on Friday when we came back in the shore, I had, um, you know, a sardine, and, um, and, but I took it from the bait tank, and that was, that was kind of how fishing went for the day, um, but that's okay, sometimes it, it happens that way. We, we were out all day, and uh, we had actually two tuna, pretty big-sized tuna, were on the boat by 8 a.m., so we, we, we knew, like, this is going to be a great day, and then when we came into the dock at 6 p.m., we had two tuna on the boat, and, um, <laughs> but, uh, but it really was fun, and, and we had a, a handful of bonito as well. Um, but one thing I was thinking about fishing, so a true fisherman would say, but Ryan, it really doesn't matter because it's about the journey. It's just about being out there, enjoying the water, enjoying the time together. That, and that's what fishing's all about, which I, that's what I was telling people on the boat the whole day. I mean, I, didn't, I don't really believe that, to be honest with you, because I like catching. I don't like fishing. But... Um, but we, we actually did have a good time, and I was learning that more and more I do this, and my son and I have done this five years now, and I think it is more about the journey and the experience. It, of course, is more fun when you catch. Um, but we're in a series on faith, and I knew that it really, this is the problem with the fishing trip, is that we're in a series on faith. And God said, I'm going to give you a sermon illustration. And so, but I was thinking about it, and really, sometimes faith we can think it's all about God showing up and giving us what we want. Or it's all about having this experience where we see the results the way we need them. But really our faith journey is a lot like the day of fishing. That can you be faithful? Can you believe in God? Can you trust who he is regardless of what the results are? God is not dependent our belief in him should not be dependent on us getting what we want. And so lesson learned next year, we're going to do a totally different series about like how to be humble in great abundance. So that will be the summer series. Um, <laughs> but
But it was fun, and I do think it was applicable to our faith series for um, today and where we are at. You know, Robert Louis Stevenson once said this, Do not judge each day by the harvest you reap, but by the seeds that you sow. Do not judge each day by the harvest you reap, but the seeds that you sow. And as I think of our, our lives of faith, it's not so much about the harvest we reap, but the seeds that we sow, the seeds we plant, the way we live our lives through our beliefs day after day. And so today as we continue our series in Vintage Faith, we're gonna, I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Hebrews chapter 11. We're actually going to complete um, this series. And if you're new to Scripture, Hebrews is near, kind of near the very end of your Bible. If you're using a digital Bible, we totally welcome that here. So you're welcome to pull it up online or if you have a Bible app. We're, we'll be in Hebrews chapter 11, picking it up in verse 32 as we finish our day. And today, our series, uh, or this section of the book, But as we look at this, the question for us today is can we have faith that is not dependent on the outcome? Can we be faithful no matter what, where the road takes us? And that's a question we'll explore today. So join me as we pray. God, we thank you for this time. We thank you uh, even for the joy of being together with a bunch of guys from the church this weekend. Uh, We thank you for... Uh, the lessons learned, but also just the, the friendships that were made and were deepened. Uh, truly, that is what matters, and so we appreciate that, God. And uh, we thank you for this church. We thank you for the blessings you've given us and how you've placed us here. And, and God, w- may you speak to us this morning. Let it be about you, not about me, not about even Seacoast, but about you. And uh, we want you to shine. And so we thank you for this time now. And uh, teach us, God, as we look into your word. I give this in your name, amen. So Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32. So we're going to look, uh, as we continue this series, we've been looking at all these great stories that have been um, alluded to throughout chapter 11. And there's stories of great triumph throughout Scripture. These heroes of the faith that we can look to and say, wow, look at how God has moved. Look how God is working in this person's lives and through these people. This is truly is, is a testimony to the strength of God and who He is. And in verse 32 today, we're going to pick it up, and we see, uh, we, we talked about one of these characters last week, but we'll mention it again, and, and we see these continued stories of faith in the midst of triumph. And in verse 32, we see this, it says, what more shall I say? So the writer of Hebrews writes, what more shall I say? For time will t- fail me if I tell of Gideon, of Barak, of Samson, of Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword. From weakness they were made strong. They became mighty in war. They put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. And we're going to stop right there for a moment. So as we begin today, as the, the ending, concluding section of chapter 11 the author wants us to, just to be, recall all these great stories of people who their strong conviction and belief in the character of God and in the promises of God caused them to live in a way that where they saw God move through them in mighty, mighty, powerful ways. These are things that uh, God, I, I call it faith in the midst of triumphs, believing that God is who he says he is. I think of this as sports fans. So many of you, us in here are sports fans, and we have football season coming, which tends to bring out the most passionate. 
Um, I, I'm a, a you know big sports fan, kind of anything, but I love baseball is one of the things. And I'm a passionate Red Sox fan. Yes, I know. Um, and I just say yes, I know. Just before you say anything, good or bad, just that's the way it is. And um, I, I think of sports fans, we're pretty good about being faithful to our teams and, and having hope year after year, right? Um, but some of us are even, we're faithful in the triumphs and in kind of the hard times. But the triumphs are way more fun, aren't they? Um, a few weeks ago, uh, my son and I went up to the Dodgers game. They're playing the Red Sox. And so we went to see David Ortiz, one of his last games in, or his last game in L.A. And we were there. And these are two teams fighting for first place. So they're very good. So it's no problem wearing our colors with pride. Now, I know when you go to Dodger Stadium and you wear the other team's uniform, sometimes that's risky. But it's Red so You've got to be true to who you are. You know, that's all I have to say. So we went in there and we were wearing our Red Sox things, which my wife always looks at me and says, like, I am not hanging out with you at these games. I'm just not doing, you know, I could wear Red Sox to Padres game. No one's going to care. But, you know, Dodgers. But, but you got to, sorry, I mean, we're, because we're mellow down here. Not because the Padres, never mind. All right, so. <laughs> but I think in great triumph, it's easy to wear your colors, right? So, but, but for me, I'm the type that, Triumph, good or bad, I'll wear my Red Sox. So we were at the game, and we had pretty good seats, and uh, the, the players were warming up in between innings. They threw a ball up into the stands, and they threw it, and I caught the ball. And, and so people kind of cheered a little until I, you know, I heard them cheer, so I turned around and let them know who caught it. <laughs> well, you have to be pride, proud, right, of your team. So I held up my Red Sox shirt, to which then the whole section began booing. Uh, and so then I took off my Red Sox hat, and I bowed for them all. Um, <laughs> but, you know, so in triumph, though, it's easy to be faithful to your team. And by the way, my son, who's 13, we looked and there was a little Dodger fan about five years old next to us. He goes, hey, let's just give him the ball. We don't need it. So we did. So because Red Sox fans are the best. And so we gave him. <laughs> I actually told him, I said, never believe what people tell you about Red Sox fans from now on. <laughs> But we, we had a good time. But I was thinking, you know, sports fans were kind of the epitome of, like, we, it shows examples of faith time and again, right? And it's easy sometimes in great triumph. I think of these stories that are, are drawn to, and maybe it's not easy, but that when you know the outcome, it's easier. One of the stories that's alluded to here, we're just going to look briefly at it, is in Daniel chapter 3. I'll read it to you. You don't even have to turn there unless you'd like to. But in Daniel chapter 3, there's a story of a great faith in triumph. But I think, what is the attitude of people who believe in faith and, and, and who can live away? What's an attitude that's an example for us? And here's a story of great triumph. There's a, three guys who were faithful to the God of Israel. They were living in exile under the king Nebuchadnezzar. And the king decided, Nebuchadnezzar built this large golden altar t- for himself and said, I want everyone to bow before it and to worship this altar and so, or worship this image uh, for me. And he told them, he said, okay, when you hear the music play, you got to bow down and worship. Some of you are familiar with this story. And these three men said, no, we, we were not going to do that. So they're brought before the king. And in verse 15 of Daniel 3, it says this. King Nebuchadnezzar said, now if you're ready, the moment you hear the sound of the horn, and he m- mentioned all this music, fall down and worship the image that I have made, then very well, we're fine. But if you do not worship, you will immediately be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire, And what God is there who will deliver you out of these hands? So we see a test of faith that's given to these these three people who've been faithful to the God of Israel. He said, I'm going to throw you in the fire. 
And I love the response. It says, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego replied, said, O Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to give you an answer concerning this matter. I want you to see this verse here in verse 17. I have it on the screen. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. So here's kind of the attitude of people when we see this story of great triumph, and, and I think this is an attitude that we should cling to, right? Our God who we serve is able to deliver us. They had a strong belief, a hope, and the promise of God and his power and his character knowing that he has called them to worship him and him alone. So they said, hey, we know he's able to stand. He's able to deliver us. And this is, and the end of their story, by the way, well, you can look it up in chapter 3, is a triumphant end. And I think, wow, that's great when this is the attitude that leads to triumph. But, I want it, but that's not what t- this morning is all about. I want you to see now verse 18 as well. Look at this, and this is the attitude we're looking at for today. Even if God does not save us, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you've set up. See, Hebrews chapter 11 starts and tells us all these stories of triumph. We hear stories of people who have this attitude that says, God is able, we trust in his promises, we trust in his goodness, we trust in his power, he's good, We're not going to change who we are because we know who our God is. But there's something about the attitude of even those who experience the triumphs that says this, even if God does not, we're not going to change for you. Even if he doesn't come through. I like to call that faith in the midst of adversity. See, now let's go back to chapter 11 and let me explain to you what happens. We went to verse 35. Now we're going to continue when the author decides to keep going after this great stories of all the faith he or she has been writing about. Now it turns the corner and says this. Others were tortured, not accepting their release so they might obtain a better resurrection. Others experienced mockings and scourgings. Yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned to death. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom this world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. And all of these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised because God had provided something better for us. So apart from us, they would not be made perfect. And the theological side of that last statement, apart from us, they would not be made perfect, essentially is saying, we together with these great stories of the men and women of old who've lived their lives faithfully, we all together will experience a better resurrection. We'll experience a life of eternity together. That's coming. But notice what it says, what this author writes. None of them received what was promised. See, when we look at our lives of faith, It's easy when we think the outcome is going to be good, right? It's easier when we know, okay, I'll jump in the furnace, but God's going to save me. That's easier. Still a test, but when we don't know the outcome, that's when it's tough. That's when it gets difficult. I think of it, let me bring it back to fishing for a moment. (laughs) 
Now, true fishermen, as I said, they, they're good just about the experience, right? But the very first time I went on one of these longer fishing trips, between my son and I, between getting all the gear and paying for the boat and all this, you know, we were like $300 in for the day. So here's the way I think. As we caught our first fish, and I looked at it, I'm like, okay, 10 pounds. That's 30 bucks a pound. Okay. <laughs> and it's yellowtail. Let's see, once we clean that thing, really, this thing, I need to get this down to about $2 a pound, so we got to keep fishing. <laughs> And my idea the entire day was every time we caught a fish in my mind, I had a running total of, okay, now it's almost worth it. Now it's getting there. I'm moving it, and I talked to some other fishermen, like, okay, I'm down to like $15 a pound, or I'm down to $5 a pound. They're like, you can't think like that. And I think, well, yeah, I can, because that's how I think. (laughs) But they would continually tell me, it's not about what you get. It's about the experience. It's about the joy of being out here which I'm learning year after year. I'm learning it. Sometimes I think in faith, we think it's about bringing in this great haul of something. We want faith to be about what we get out of it. And God says, no, 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 no. Your faith is about what I'm going to do in and through and around you. Let me worry about the results. You just worry about your faithfulness. You worry about your belief. It's about the journey you're on and how I'm interacting and working in and through you. And it's so easy, though, to say, I want to know what good is going to come of this. I know some of you in here, you've been praying faithfully for maybe a family member for years and years and years. I know we have family members that we've been praying for for years. God, would you break through and, and, and change their lives and reveal yourself to them? And sometimes we think, are you ever going to do this, Lord? I remember one of the churches I worked at, there was a, a faithful old saint. She was um, well along in her years. And at one point, she had been praying for her husband, uh, whom she had known at this point, praying for his salvation for 70 years. And I think, how can you remain faithful for that many years? I would think after 30 or 40 or 50, you'd say, okay, 50 years of prayer should be enough, right? But 60, 70 she remained faithful. I remember the story. She actually had a happy ending that before her husband died and went to be with the Lord, he gave his life to Christ. And I think, wow, how can you be faithful for 70 years? What would have happened if she died first and didn't see the end of the story? But that happens. See, most of us in here are never going to face adversity that we read about in Hebrews of our lives on the line. Some may. Increasingly in our world, there are Christians today who day after day have to make a decision between life and death. It happens still to this day. But most of us, that's not the adversity we'll face. We may face adversity of living ethically at work. The diversity, or the adversity of, of being faithful in prayer when we don't see the results sometimes. The adversity of choosing to live our lives in certain ways that don't fit with the rest of culture, even raising our kids in ways that don't match up with our friends in the same school. The priorities we make. And it's sometimes difficult. We say, what is the result of all this, God? When it seems like everyone else is kind of getting the same stuff, should, how can I be faithful? It's difficult sometimes. God, should I reach out and ask for forgiveness or offer forgiveness another time to someone who just keeps rejecting you? Really? 
are rejecting me. What's God calling you to do today when you think of this? Part of the journey. Faith in the midst of your adversity. C.S. Lewis once said this, Faith is the art of holding on to the things your reason has once accepted in spite of your changing moods. Faith is the art of holding on to things your reason has once accepted in spite of your changing moods. You see, there's things that we come to this reasonable understanding of who God is and and belief in Him. and, and, And faith is the art of hanging on to that even when life doesn't seem to be going the way you expect it to go or want it to go. I love the way he thinks through that. Can we be people who understand the art of holding on, even in our changing moods? We want to look at one more story of faith this morning. This is in Acts chapter 7, and I invite you to turn there. The book of Acts is kind of about two-thirds through their Bible. Find it in the New Testament. Acts chapter 7, there's a story of a guy named Stephen that we don't always know so much about in Scripture. And this is a time in history when you need to understand, Jesus came on the scene as this, this Jewish teacher, and there was rumors that he was the Messiah, the one sent from God as God's Son to deliver the people, uh, to deliver Israel and to offer them salvation. And, and they believed that the Messiah would take them out and deliver them from the Roman Empire, from oppression once and for all. So that was their expectations of what the Messiah would do for them. So Jesus, as he gained in popularity, he, he eventually people said, yeah, this truly is the Son of God, the Messiah sent for us. He was crucified on the cross and rose again from the dead. And this movement of Jewish people, followers becoming Christians because they believed in the Messiah spread rapidly. Now, at this point, though, there was teachers of the law, there was others who did not want to believe that Jesus was the Messiah. Despite some of the miracles they've seen and the rumors they'd heard, they didn't want to believe. And part of it was because they expected their Messiah would be a, this military leader who would deliver them physically out of the oppression of the Romans. And so he didn't match up with their preconceived ideas of what he would do. So they were expecting uh, a different Messiah. So they started fighting against Christians and this movement of Jesus followers because they didn't want this to spread. They said, truly, this can't be. He, he went against our, our temple ritual systems and all of this. He's changing the way we see things. And so they'd fight against uh, Christianity and the movement. So we see on the scene here in Acts chapter 7, 6 and 7, there's a story of a guy named Stephen who was a follower of Jesus. And he gave the total story of Christ, beginning from the very beginning. Oh, you remember the promises given to our fathers, how God worked through Moses and led our ancestors out of the desert. And he went through a step-by-step story all the way up to the prophets who prophesied about a coming Messiah. And then Stephen says, but you didn't believe them. Because you're hard-hearted. So you're not going to believe Jesus now either. And who he is. When he did that, it says, we we pick it up in chapter 7, all the way back in uh, verse 54. After Stephen gives this whole story of Jesus and why they should believe he's the Messiah, and then he says, but you know what? You guys are hard-hearted. You didn't believe the prophets. Why would you believe anybody now? It says this in verse 54. When they heard this, they were cut to the quick. They began gnashing their teeth at him. In other words, something hit home. They knew he was right in what they said, and they just gnashed their teeth in anger. 
But being full of the Holy Spirit, Stephen gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Whether he actually saw him or just whatever it was, he looked up and he, he had this view or image of God and he says, Behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Now culturally what he's saying here, the heavens opened up and seeing the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God, this is language that came from the prophets from the Old Testament, only really used by Jesus outside of the Old Testament, of this Son of Man was described as the Messiah sent from God. So Stephen pulls out this imagery from the Hebrew Scriptures and says there's the Son of Man, the true Messiah standing at the right hand of God. This picture that he described was saying Jesus is the Son of God and by being at the right hand he was sent by God with all authority of the Father in heaven. He said they're equal but different. So Stephen makes this proclamation that Jesus is truly God, the God they serve. Now that did not sit well with the crowds. As soon as he said that, in verse 57, they cried out with a loud voice. They covered their ears and rushed at him with one impulse. When they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him, and the witnesses laid their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Now, so when they heard this, according to their traditions, if you were to blaspheme God, if you were to claim that anyone else was God other than Yahweh, the punishment was to be killed through stoning with rocks. And so they heard this and they pushed him outside of the city walls according to their traditions and laws and began throwing rocks at him to kill him for blaspheming against God according to their beliefs. But I want you to catch something here at the the end of verse 58. So they laid their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Now when you lay your robes at the feet of someone, one it was so that they could more accurately throw rocks, but laying the robes at the feet, that person was standing essentially saying, I approve of what's happening and I'm overseeing this murder, essentially, this punishment being laid down. Verse 59, they went on stoning Stephen as he called the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold the sin against them. And having said this, he fell asleep which is a way of saying he died. So I read this story and I wonder how many of us in the midst of adversity are able to have the attitude of Stephen where he stops and he says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. His focus in the midst of this great trial being being killed, (laughs) much greater than any of us will face, his first response is, is to prayer and still be in unity with God. It wasn't, Lord God, what are you, do you not see what's happening Lord, are you, are you going to do something about it? No, it was God. I'm okay with what happens. Receive my spirit. Help me be, enter the kingdom being faithful to you. Help me stay strong with my beliefs. Receive my spirit, God. That's not always my response, by the way. <laughs> Often in the midst of adversity or things that are difficult, my first response isn't even prayer. Sometimes it's like, okay, I better fix this. Let me find a way out of this. What do I need to do to kind of get out of this situation? My first response should be, Lord, lead me, teach me, help me grow. I trust you no matter what the outcome. But often it's like, God, hang on a second. Let me take care of this and I'll come back. And then let's work it out. Teach me the lesson later, but I've got to solve something first. (laughs) 
But Stephen's first response is, Lord, receive my spirit. And then look at the second one. And this we cannot miss. Father, do not hold this sin against them. Christianity, I I believe it's strong. I believe that God will continue to move and, and work globally. But sometimes it's difficult. You look and you wonder, are we losing religious freedom in our country? Will that change in the next 50 years, 40 years? Globally, what will be the view of Christianity? And it's very easy to start looking. And instead of saying, God, please do not hold this against them. It's easy to say, God, I'm so grateful that you are a God of vengeance and justice. Go ahead and take off. Do what you got to do. Take care of these people. But the attitude of Stephen is, don't hold this sin against these people who are lost. Don't understand. Now, if that was the end of the story, here I want you to... Notice something. Stephen died. What did he see as a result of his faithfulness? What did Stephen experience as a result of his faithfulness? Anyone? What do you think? Death. Yeah, thanks, God. He didn't see the results, did he? Now, I like to believe that the next moment he was with Jesus in heaven, and then he said, okay, now watch. Let's watch the rest of the story together. This is going to get good. But really, at the moment, Stephen thinks, wow, I've been faithful and here I go. I don't know what will happen. So let's keep reading in chapter 8. It says, Saul, who was the witness here, he was in hearty agreement with putting Stephen to death. And on that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem. They were all scattered throughout the regions in Judea and Samaria, except for the apostles, Some devout men buried Stephen and they began to mourn over him. But Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house and dragging off men and women. He'd put them into prison. So the story, if we stop here, all we see is that the people who've been faithful to Christ now are being persecuted for their faith, even though they believe that God is big, he's able to deliver them, he's the Messiah, but they're not seeing any good result. Now, those of you who are familiar with Scripture, you'll know what happens to Saul. See, Saul has an encounter with Jesus through a vision. He ends up becoming a follower. His name is changed to Paul. And the one person who's probably the greatest missionary in the history of the planet, who, as a result of his faithfulness, Paul had a legacy of Christianity. He went all the way to Rome when the Roman Empire was the empire over all the earth that led to the rapid spread of Christianity. I believe you and I are here today because of the work of Paul and his missionary work, his passion for Jesus. But we're actually here because of Stephen and his faithfulness. Could you imagine the impact that had on Saul in this moment? What did Saul think when he sees someone dying for his faith but not wavering? What did he think when he heard Stephen pray, don't hold the sin against them? Do you think that had an impact on his life? I like to think it does. We don't know really in Scripture. But the rest of the story seems like that moment had to stand out. And I believe history was changed because of that moment. And here's the thing. Stephen didn't get to experience the joy of any of it. Any of it. This morning, are you willing to, as Robert Louis Stevenson said, to judge the day on so, not on the harvest,
but on the seeds that you plant. See, living our lives faithfully before God is not about the harvest. It's about the seeds. And it's about trusting that God is able to harvest what he wants to harvest. Stephen didn't judge his day on the harvest he brought in, but but on the life he lived and the seeds he planted. For you, it might be the way you interact with coworkers, the way you interact with the barista who makes your morning latte each day, with your friends, with your family, the forgiveness you offer, the compassion that you have for the hurting, for the poor. I wonder what it would be like if our community of faith here in Encinitas truly just lived our lives before God as faithfully as we can, trusting in His promises, trusting in His goodness, and judging the day not on the harvest but on the seeds planted and just say, God, we choose to live faithfully before you, believing who you are, knowing that you have a plan for our community and knowing that you're big and you're able to transform lives and the rest is in your hands, God. We want to be that, those kind of people. What would be the effect? We may not see it. It might be 100 years from now, Seacoast Church might be here as a, known as a place that was part of just really transforming North County. And all of us will be under the ground, not getting to see the end of the story until God pulls us aside and says, oh, look at that. Look what's happening there. Because the way you invested in each other's lives and your life, life groups, the way you gave to the children and the youth and the, and the kids' ministries and youth ministry, the way you led your businesses that you own, the way that you worked side by side with your coworkers, the way you raised your kids, the way you invested in your marriages. It transformed your community because you live faithfully before me, trusting that I'm God. Can we be that kind of community? Faithfully praying, faithfully living, saying, God, the harvest is in your hands. The seeds are in our hands. Let us live faithfully that way. And if we come home on the boat, not holding any fish... When our day is over, may we be able to say, God, thank you that we had a great journey. Now you do what you need to do. The results are about you. We're going to take a time. I want to invite the worship team to come up. And as we end, we have a couple songs. I want to ask you to take a moment just to pray. And ask God, where in your life do you need to increase in your faith? Where is God challenging you? Maybe it is you've grown weary praying for the same person year after year and you just think, I'm done. This morning, can you faithfully say, God, forgive me. Help me be faithful to you and continue to pray. Continue to be a light. Maybe you've offered forgiveness to the same person ten times and God says, okay, ten more. The result's in my hands, not yours. Don't try to control the end. Can we judge this day? by the seeds we plant. So let's take a moment and just ask God, how do you, what seeds do you want us to plant the way we live our lives? And faithfully use us. And maybe some of you this morning just need a little bit of encouragement. I know that I have a lot of friends in this community that I spend a lot of time with, coaching, playing basketball with. Sometimes I think, God, are you ever going to change any of these guys' lives? And I don't know. Sometimes you just need that encouragement. God says, don't worry about that. Keep being faithful. Let me figure out the rest. So let's be those kind of people today. Let me pray for you. God, we thank you for this time. I thank you um, for
for the example of Stephen, of what it looked like to have faith in the midst of adversity. And God, without even seeing a good result on this side of heaven, Lord, he remained faithful. And thank you that you used that event to transform the rest of history. Lord, may you use the people here at Seacoast, the men and women, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ to transform history. So we thank you and give you this time now. Amen. As we sing these last two songs, I want to just ask you to maybe take a moment to pray where you are. And if you want to find some space near the cross, again, nothing sacred or holy about that space, but if that helps you focus to to pray, feel free. Um, And then when you want to join in in the music, let's stand just as a sign of solidarity together, just trusting that God is big and he's good and, and we want to remain faithful because he is always faithful. So take a moment to pray and when you're ready to join together, just stand where you are and we'll worship with these last two songs.